0: Hello, you chasers of excellence. Patrick here. Starting the episode off a bit differently this week because I wanted to let you know about a new podcast I've just launched with Morning Chalk Up called Open Gym. If you like the conversation Ben and I have in this episode and you appreciate the other affiliate-focused topics we've covered over the years, I think you're really going to love Open Gym. I've taken a lot of the lessons learned here on Chasing Excellence and I'm incorporating them into a show focused on the voices of those inside the CrossFit affiliate community who I believe have a valuable perspective worth amplifying. All with the mission of helping future-proof the affiliate community all over the world for many more years to come. You can find Open Gym wherever you listen to this podcast and there's a link in the show notes to everywhere you can find it. It'd mean the world to me. If you subscribed and gave it a listen, thank you so much in advance. And now let's get on with today's show. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing Never stop. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. How are you, Ben?
1: I'm great, Patrick. Thank you.
0: Today, we are going to dive back into the world of affiliates and running an affiliate. Um, Though I think, as these often do, I think that there'll be a lot of um, transference to other businesses, whatever they may be. The subject today is going to be uh, reinvestment, reinvesting back into the business. And it's something I wanted to talk to you about because I've heard, you know, I've, I've been lucky to be at your, uh, affiliate excellence seminar five, six or 10 times at mm-hmm. this point. Right. And one of the, one of the things in there is you break down, um, uh, a sense of like, if you have a hundred members, you should probably have, you should probably be the only coach and you should be in reinvesting as much as you can yeah. back into the business. And then you kind of have a, um, a, a breakdown of like, if you're at 300 members, You can probably start to take whatever it is. I'm making the numbers up. And so it's something that I know um, you've thought a lot about, um, this idea of reinvestment, how it plays a role in affecting the growth of the gym. And so I wanted to talk to you about that. And I want to start at the beginning and just get a sense from you of when you started cf where was your head as it related to reinvestment? Were you as committed to it then as maybe you are now, or were you necessarily more committed to it then than you are now? Um, and so maybe just start with at that, you know, 10 ish, 10 plus years now, what did reinvest, what did, excuse me, reinvestment mean to you at that point?
1: Yeah, love it. Um, Maybe we take a, a, a step back even before that and talk sure. about like reinvestment and yeah. what that is. So to me, reinvestment, take away the re it's investment. Mm -hmm. You're investing. So what is investing? So investing is putting your resources towards something that's going to pay off in the future. And most people talk about that when thinking about investing, they think about, um, monetarily, but you can invest in self betterment. You can invest and that takes time, energy, effort, any resource you have, you're going to, instead of, um, consuming it in the the real time, in the present, you're going to, um, put it away in hopes that it pays off more later. That's what an investment is. So I kind of default to the Warren Buffett approach to this thing in terms of the way I think about investing and reinvesting, period. And I for sure should be better about this in my personal life. And um, But I, I love his mantra of don't save what's left after spending, spend what's left after saving, and it's this refocusing. What most people do is they get their paycheck, they pay their bills, they go out to dinner, they uh, save up for a little bit of a vacation or to buy their next car or whatever it is, and maybe they have a few bucks left over. And they look at that number and put that money towards investing. It ends up being a much smaller number than it should be. Where Warren Buffett's approach is is, no, like you get your paycheck. Put aside X number for investments and then the remaining part, that's what you pay your bills with and you uh, buy a car and you go out to eat and you save up for a um, a vacation. That paradigm shift of investment comes before spending kind of changes the ball game in terms of everything we're probably going to be talking about in this podcast. And that's for sure the way I approached this in the early days and continue to do it today. The other kind of paradigm shifting approach or overarching theme to the way I think about business is um, something the way that Simon Sinek has coined very well and is coming out with a new book about it is this infinite game versus a finite game. And I think we've talked about this on this podcast before, but essentially the difference between those two is a finite game is known rules, known players, known time, football, Right. We're gonna play on Sunday at one o'clock. Here's how you get points. And the person at the end of the 60 minutes wins. Well, that's not that's essentially what business is trying to do. A lot of people are trying to play this finite game, which is at the end of the quarter, at the end of the year, at the end of my tenure as CEO, I'm hope that we win. But no one's defining there in business, there is no set time. Tables to it. There is no set metrics of what is is it market share? Is it revenue? Is it profit? Is it number of employees? Is it set? like there is no known. Everything is unknown. So it's this infinite game. So from day one, and I continue to operate this way. Simon Sinek's just give me good verbiage yeah. to kind of talk about this. Is I played this infinite game, which is it's the reason I didn't take investors on in the early day. I didn't want to have to justify. I didn't want to pursue quarterly profits. I didn't want an investor to say, hey, it's been three years. Where's my money? Mm -hmm. Because I wasn't looking to pull as much money off the table every quarter, every year. I knew from day one I was going to be pumping it back in, knowing that it might not pay off for two years, three years, five years, 10 years, maybe 20 years. But what I'm looking for is fulfillment in my life as a whole. We talk about that all the time here, not trying to maximize profits on a timetable that's arbitrary, right? I want to pursue my vision, my goals. So because of that, the reinvestment thing becomes incredibly important. What we're not gonna do is go, okay, after we pay our rent and after we pay our water bill and electricity, here's the money left over and we have 20%. What that means is, Ben gets 15% and the other 5% we go into, we put back into buying the next rower or improving the, the the shower situation. Instead, what i am done from day one is the opposite. Here is as much back into the business as possible and what's the least amount I can pull off the table? Here's the deal, is like, when you pull that money off the table, if we follow Warren Buffett's thing, what we're gonna do is we should put the majority of it We should invest it. So you have options of where you're going to invest it. Is it stock, bonds, real estate, art, gold, whatever it might Mm be? Well, of all those things, how much control do you have over how those things go up and down? No matter, even if you're the best stock picker in the world, you know, so yeah, you can be really, really secure, put in a money market fund and get like Mm 6.6%, right? Like you're basically going to not even beat inflation. So okay, give it to an incredible um money manager, okay? Or you go into like the bottom line is the place that I have the most control over how this grows is in my own business. Mm-hmm. Like stocks you're investing into businesses. That's what literally what you're doing. You're buying a piece of the business. So why would I not put it back into the thing I have the most control over? And as a early startup, my business can grow at 20% a year, which would be phenomenal In comparison to like the annual returns of the stock market, which the stock market beats out just about everything other investment. So it also becomes the smartest play. So not only is it the play where I um, can reap the most benefits in terms of monetarily, I get to actually see it in the real world. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually not buying a piece of paper in a stock I'm not putting just numbers on a spreadsheet. It's I'm actually buying another rower. I'm actually buying some more kettlebells. I'm actually improving the facility. It's tangible, real assets. So it seems like almost when, in my opinion, it seems almost like a no-brainer for a small business owner that believes in what they're doing is pursuing excellence both personally and professionally, that they would not put as much back into the business as they possibly could. It seems like an incredible disservice to actually be pulling money off the table to be going and doing something else, whether it's invest in something else or to go take a vacation or to get a nicer car.
0: A mm-hmm. um, couple things there, but the first you mentioned right at the end there is is the belief that what you're doing is a good investment. And how much of, how much of the early days, how much, um, did you rely on your faith that what I'm doing is going to be around in 10 years or 15 years or 20 years for what, you know, whatever that quote unquote payoff is, how much of it was, I believe in, in what I'm doing so much that I'm going to put, I'm going to reinvest as much as I can. And kind of to, to piggyback on that, do you feel like, um, you know, specifically gym owners are worried about or or lack some of that faith and therefore don't reinvest as much as they could because they're a little bit hedging against, well, I don't know if I'm going to be around in two years. So I don't know if I want to give up the X amount of dollars today for the hope of, of X times two in in five years, whatever.
1: Yeah. It's, um, (laughs) if, one's gonna lead into, like the belief is going to lead into that. So I don't know if the business is gonna be here in a few years, so why would I reinvest in that? Well, if you don't reinvest back in, guess what's most likely gonna happen? Right. Where it's like, it's this catch-22. So it's like, if if you're probably more likely, if you believe your business is gonna be around in five, six, seven years, and you put your money back in, the likelihood of it being around in five, six, seven years goes up. Right. It's kind of like pretty obvious. Yeah. But here's the here's the the truth and the deal behind that is I'd be lying if I said, you know, when open opened the doors that I knew we were going to be around in five years. Mm-hmm. Now I have a 10-year vision. I have three-year metrics. I have one year. It's a really, we're a lot more mature than we were back and then. And you've got a
0: lot more momentum behind you to...
1: Yeah, and I, I feel really confident that we're going to be around again in another 10 years. Something really catastrophic would have to happen. Right. There's something I read about, which I can't remember what it was, but it's essentially every year that you're in business, the likelihood of staying in business yeah. goes up like exponentially, yeah. humongously. Right. So it's, if the same, been,
0: it's the same with um, like book publishing. The Every year that a book is in print, it adds to the likelihood that
1: it will be in print yeah, in the next, like next year, some perennial like seller. Perennial seller, lines, seller yeah, from yeah, Ryan Holiday. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Um, that might have been where I heard about it. Possibly. Away. Um, it's a good thing you're around yeah uh so here but he, that didn't slow me down or stop me whatsoever the hesitancy so if you if if you're um in high school playing defense on a foot on a football team and um the coach calls in a play from the sidelines you look over and you're like man I I don't really remember or know what that play is the worst thing you can do is go half speed mm-hmm you know, the best thing you can do is like, yeah, I don't know what this is going to look like, but screw it. I am going as fast as I commit can. to it. I'm going to commit to that yeah. thing, and that's how you have to kind of live your life as an entrepreneur. Yeah. There's so many unknowns, and if you let the unknowns eat away at you, you're going to you're not going to go anywhere. The best thing you can do, the way I approached it was, I'm not looking to maximize 5 years from now. I can remember when people um I was Uh, interviewed early on which makes no sense because like (laughs) I wasn't successful at the time but people were interviewing me about like being an entrepreneur and they were like what is your 10-year vision where do you want to be in five years and a consistent answer always was I don't know I don't care I'm trying to give my customers my members the best possible experience they can have today so if that's the case, it makes decision-making really simple in terms of reinvesting. If that's the metric we're going to use by where we should be putting our dollars back later on, all we have to think about is, is it going to improve the customer's experience? Now, that sounds kind of like, well, wouldn't everything? Yep. It sounds, of course, like, well, not necessarily. If you have 100 members and you have um, 10 classes a day, the average attendance in a, in a kick-ass gym is about 60%. That would be awesome. That average out to six people in the gym a day. Well, let's say you have 10 rowers. Would buying an 11th rower improve your customer's experience? No, absolutely not. But let's say it's the same scenario, but you have 300 members. Well, now the average class size is 18 people per class, mm-hmm. and you only have 10 rowers. Would buying an 11th rower improve your customer experience? Absolutely, mm-hmm. so you should definitely do that. What I'm saying is, think about literally, like the the user experience. If I was to buy this thing, if I was to put my money here, would the customer have a better experience? So, would you replacing the sign outside your gym improve the customer's experience? In the early days, probably not, mm-hmm. right? Even like at year 10, potentially not. Now, if it's a sign that was so kick-ass that the members went like, wow, and they were proud of it, and they were actually more likely to feel a more of an attachment to the gym because your sign was so incredible, it'd be a pretty amazing sign. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine that. Yeah, it probably doesn't exist. So that's my answer is yeah. a sign is not the right place to reinvest. A new t-shirt, probably not the right place to spend your dollars. You just don't get the money back in terms of the margins on the way a t-shirt sells. Mm -hmm. You're not gonna make your money selling stuff. You're not gonna make your money through um, putting money into branding and advertising. You're going to make it back in the customer experience. So when they walk in, if you don't have enough pieces of equipment to run a class for the people in the class to use it, you should not buy that piece of equipment. So an example would that be like you're really early on and you have enough barbells, you have enough rowers, you have enough boxes, and you're thinking about getting some kettlebells. Well, getting one or two kettlebells at two different weights is not worth it Mm -hmm. because people can't do the prescribed weights of, we'll call it 35 and 53 pounds. What you need to do is get at least three, four, or five at each weight and some weights in between. And... It's not worth getting the one or two. Mm-hmm. Same thing with a GHD. If you, don't, if you don't plan on using GHDs in your class, don't buy GHDs. It's not the right place to invest your money. People are like, well, no, my competitors like competitors aren't paying your bills. This is about investing. We're looking for a payoff later on. Now you can buy one to make your, that member happy, Cool, but you're making that one member happy. What we wanna do before that is get our classes and our user base to have a better experience. And that's the metric by which we we filter all reinvestments. Mm -hmm. Okay, we have four showers, you have 200 members. Should you build out a fifth shower? Probably not. I'm guessing that if you have four showers and 200 members, no one is ever waiting in a line. Now, save 200 members and one shower. Should you build another shower? I would say yes. I think it'd be a great place because somebody is definitely waiting in those morning classes. You're going to enhance that user experience. So use that as the filter by which we measure every dollar being reinvested back into the business.
0: One of the things that, you know, in thinking about talking to you about this, um, one of the obvious questions is, um, you know, I, I think about uh, an affiliate that isn't 10 years in, um, maybe and is still uh, still working to build that member base, and maybe they're not in a position to um, give up. You know, they they want to do this full time. They want this to be what they do, and so by virtue of that, they need to take whatever profits that they're making and pay themselves so that they can yeah. they can live. Um, and you know, so that's the obvious question. And so I want to present that to you, but I also want to um, add to it. Is I I wonder how much you would think or how much your response is going to be related to like, maybe you're not ready. If that's the case of the business, maybe you're not ready to be doing this all in. Maybe this isn't where you put all of your eggs yet. And so I wonder how you think about that balance and how you thought about it in the early days. Like how did you literally like, what was your life like? I know it was simpler. Um, what was your life like that allowed you to say as much as we can, I'm putting it back into, into the
1: gym. Yeah. Um, two, um, two pieces to that response. The first one is you're absolutely right. If like, like newsflash secret, like get close, listen to this. Being an entrepreneur is hard. <laughs> like people look at this and they look at the business model really quickly. They go, okay. 200 members, 200 bucks a a month. Holy crap, that's a huge number. What's rent costing? 5 grand for rent. Look at the difference. Well, if we pay a coach 30 to 50 bucks an hour like, "Oh my god, it doesn't work like that." <laughs> it you got it's I'm going to say it again, it doesn't work like that. This is a hard business to make money in. Period. And if you romanticize it and you just look at the big picture and you don't find all the expenses that are going to be coming into play, it's not what you expect. And getting that next member is way harder than you think. So what most people do, and I love this approach of like, in terms of market share, this is like a VC question, which I came across at one point and I loved. Is people, You know, there's 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 two ways to look at it, which is to look at the overall market and essentially say, well, there's... Um, four million people doing CrossFit. Yep. Well, if I open up a gym, like if I only get like this tiny little percent, I could easily get four hundred members. Or to say, like in my town, there's X number of people. Well, if I open up a gym, all I need is this percent. Instead of thinking, that's the easy way. Yep. Instead of think it the other way, how are you going to get that first member to walk through the door? Mm-hmm. That's the opposite approach. That's the realistic approach. Okay. How are you going to get member one to walk in? And when he walks in or she walks in, how do you get her to come back tomorrow? That's the way you got to think about like the business model. And then from there, how do you get customer number two? If your answer is advertising wrong, you're not going to get them through advertising. It does not work in our business model. We're too scary. It's too big of a leap. They're not gonna go from their couch into a CrossFit gym because of a flyer they got on their door. Mm -hmm. They're not gonna do it because they heard an ad on the radio. It's not going to happen. So how are you gonna get that person in the gym? That's tough. For that reason, we have to realize and recognize way ahead of time, it's a grind. It's going to be so hard hard. Now that hardness, it might last for the first six weeks, six months or six years. And that's depending on how much are you going to dive into this, pursue excellence in your own endeavor. Now, if you do it part-time and hedge your bets, guess what? It's a longer road. Right. Now, if you go all in and I'm going to learn guitar and I'm going to start a band in six months and you quit your job and you play guitar, it's going to be a lot faster. So it's up to you, but hedging your bets, a plan B is also a plan to fail. So you might not make it there. The second thing to recognize, and I'm glad I remembered that, Like I was like, there's no way I'm going to remember that, there's two things. The second thing is the way our business model operates, which is high rents, low tuition. That's what makes our model successful. What I mean by that is... um, hope I said that right. Did I say low rent, high tuition? I might have said it. high rent, low tuition. It's yep. the opposite. Yep. Yeah, like the opposite. So it is high tuition and low rent. Yep. That's the way our business model works incredibly well. That's why we're in warehouses. That's why we're off the beaten path. Because if you're in a warehouse, off the beaten path, your rent is a third if you're in a high traffic area. So in our area, in our, if you want to be on a main road, it's about 22 bucks a square foot. If you want to be in the beaten path, you can be closer to 10 bucks a square foot. Mm -hmm. Well, now that we're talking, that's cheap. And now we pay people, now people pay 200 bucks a month to be a member. That's how the business model actually works what people are doing is they're racing to the bottom. Mm -hmm. And Seth Godin says, the problem with racing to the bottom is you might win, (laughs) right? Which means like charge less and less and less and less because what we're trying to do is now compete with every other fitness facility out there instead of operating within the constraints of our business model. And what they do is they're trying to now charge 150. Well, the people down are charging 130. Okay, so now I'll charge 99. I'll charge 69. Now the tuition is really low, and well, we gotta get a high traffic area. So we'll go on the main street, and now the rent is high. Yep. Our business model doesn't. The Global Gym model works for that because they have 10,000 members right. and no one shows up. We have 60 percent. If you have a good gym, of our members show up. If 60% of your members show up, if 60% of the members show up to the Global Gym, they go out of business. Mm -hmm. If our members show up at the rate that they show up to the Global Gym, we go out of business. It's two separate business models. One is about sales and hoping people never, ever again walk through the door. Ours is about relationships and results, and you gotta come back in tomorrow because we charge so much. If you're not coming back, I know you're gonna cancel your membership. So... Because of that, what we can do is operate and exaggerate that by going with even a lower rent scenario with a lower investment. If you open up and you have to take a loan or a lease or something else where you are in the hole by 150 grand on day one, now all of a sudden we have we're even in a tougher situation. But we can grow this thing organically because how are you gonna get customer number one? Well, you're going to go to the park and you're going to train one person in the park and you're going to do burpees and box jumps and kettlebell swings and running. And then that person, you have no rent and you had to buy 300 bucks worth of equipment. And now you're up and running with one client for 300 bucks. And now you get a second client because they see you doing that out in the public. Mm -hmm. And now you get that second one. Okay. Now you buy another kettlebell, another box. You get a third one, okay. Now we have 40, 50, 60 people doing these boot camp classes in the park. Okay, now it's time to look for a facility. And how do you get customer one? You've already got them. Yeah. You have you're opening up day one with 50 people following you to this facility. That This is how I did it, right? right. You know the story. This is how you lower the risk along the way. You don't need to take a loan out. You don't need to get investors. So you don't need to answer to anybody else. You don't need to pay anyone back on a quarterly or yearly investment schedule. And now you get to play the infinite game, not the finite game that your investors are playing. You get to live into your vision and your dream of what it is that you're trying to create. And guess what? It's hard. You don't get to take a vacation. You have to work six days a week. You have to be up before the sun rises, and you're going home in the, you're going home and driving to the gym in the dark every single day. You're opening and closing, and for three years you have to pound the pavement. You have to grind it out, and then if you're quote unquote successful, that's a weird, weird word that we need to further define. Yep. But if you have enough members, that's where you can go. Okay. I'm going to take some money off to, in three years is arbitrary, yep, right? Like yep. take some money off the table and I'm going to start to, um, invest in my own family, my own personal life, whatever that might be pay for. But the best place to put the money is back in the business mm-hmm. because no one's business that you're going to invest in is probably going to grow the way yours could. Yep. So yes, take money off the table, but like dot, 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 there's some asterisks next to that. All right.
0: What does it look like now that you're ten plus years in? Uh, it sounds very much like, and uh, because I know you as well, I, I, I see it. But it sounds very much like your um, philosophy of reinvestment has not changed or altered that much from yeah. what, what you're saying. Kind of, you walked into with, um, you know, I'll just use that as the example. Like you guys, you just bought the you bought the space, you bought yeah. the the building, which is huge. Yeah. Um, gives you a, a ton of optionality. Gives you a ton of um, leverage going forward um but but I guess the question is is how much has it changed from when it started and how and how do you looking forward how do you see it changing if at all
1: yeah uh it, it has not changed at all it's only been reinforced for sure I still. Um, cause then now I have some like words to, to actually, yeah. I did before it was like, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to vocalize this. I couldn't talk to someone. I just knew I didn't want investors. I didn't know why, right. but I, there was this gut feeling like this is, I know this isn't going to work out. And now I can actually say why that, why I know that would not work. Um, so nothing has, um, altered at all. It's been solidified. The only thing that has changed is instead of reinvesting back into the equipment and the building and the, uh, infrastructure of the business, I'm paying coaches.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and the thing that hasn't, I, I am still taking as little amount off the table as I, I get, I get paid less than almost every single one of our coaches. Mm-hmm. I make less money than I get a salary out of CFNE, and it's less than almost every single one of our coaches. I would rather put it back into them now, we have a unique kind of business model where I run three or four businesses right. outside of cFne so it allows me that opportunity yep. the 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 lesson out of that is. I don't want to try to... I'm going to continue to try to put it back into the business. So
0: you've made decisions to allow you to be able to do that. Yeah,
1: And exactly. I'm going to continue to put it back into the business knowing that that's the best thing I can do playing the infinite game. Now, what that's allowed me to do is to have other revenue sources coming out of this business we've created comp train we've created business seminars we've created an immersion program there's a number of different things that we've been able to create because we've created put so much back into that platform which is that facility which is that gym next door
0: Mm -hmm. um I wanted to wrap up the conversation with a sense from you or, or the, the, the kind of advice you might give an affiliate owner as it relates to, you know, let's call it the hierarchy of investment, the hierarchy of mm-hmm. importance as, as it relates to investment. And we've talked, we've touched on it a little bit in terms of like, you know, does it directly make a, a member's experience better? And, yeah. and that's clearly the, you know, if there, if this was one of your, your, your theoretical developments of something, it yeah. would be like, that would be the base. But do you have a sense of, You want to invest, you know, again, thinking about a gym, maybe two, three, four years in, 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 uh, on the journey. Do you have a sense of like, focus on this first, focus on that next. And after that you can focus on this, or is it, or does it go back down to, is it as simple as, does it directly make their experience better? If, if yes, do it. If not, don't do it and move on.
1: Yeah. I would probably use that, um, that does it make their experience better as the filter for each of the decisions inside of this? So the first place I would, um, reinvest back into would be myself. Hmm. It'd be back into, um, the business can only grow as much as you are capable as a leader, right? If you're going to stay the leader, if you're going to, outsource and someone else is going to come in and run it, then it's only as high as they're going to be. You will never outpace the leadership of the person at the top. Mm -hmm. So I would put, that's the first place I would go into is create as much as you can into leadership. That's as simple as like buy the next book, right? Go take the next course. Um, carve out the time in your schedule for learning all that stuff. The next place I would go is into probably the thing that's going to affect the members the most, which is the coaching. Right, And it goes the same thing, like you're reinvesting your time, energy, effort, money all back into your coaching staff and call it your staff in general. The yeah. front desk counts as well, um, putting it all back into that. Then it becomes probably the next most readily visible, which is the facility and the equipment. So fixing the leaky faucet, getting the extra rower, um, building out some showers, um, Um, buying the building whatever it might be and then from there it kind of goes into the more like nitty gritty type stuff but it's um, I would go into branding Mm -hmm. not marketing but branding is how can you get the customers to feel more a part of your business now that's different really different than how can you attract more strangers So think about how can I get these people to feel more part of it. Now, if that means making a kick-ass manifesto brand brand manifesto video, cool. That's branding. Yep. That's very different than putting money into Instagram ads. So Um, I would look into like how to brand your gym better. And then it becomes like systems and things like that. We should maybe bring in a consultant to work on us, how to make it operational of more efficiency. Um, should we be investing in different membership software and things like that?
0: Mm -hmm. Um, last question. I think I said that already, but for real last question. (laughs) Um, one of the things you were talking about, uh, in terms of that, you know, getting the first member in is actually the way you do that is you you get 40 people before you ever open the door. And it feels, it, you know, you you said that and what popped in my head was that's what everybody considered CrossFit or how to start a CrossFit gym eight years ago, nine years ago, 10 years ago. And somehow we've gotten away from that as the notion of that's how you start a CrossFit yeah. gym. And now you're supposed to um, have a 6,000 yeah. square foot gym and you're supposed to be stocked out and yeah. you're going to open your doors and everybody's going to walk in. And so I'm curious if what, I might just be hearing it, but is part of what you're saying is that we actually haven't moved beyond that as the 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 right means of opening an affiliate? In fact, you should be in your garage until you get out until you get kicked out of your garage because your neighbors are annoyed, and then you go to the park, and then you get twenty people there, yeah. and then eventually you've got a space.
1: Is that are, are we have we forgotten that that's actually the way to do? No, it? I don't want to say the other way is wrong. Yep, because if if I had a million dollars, I wouldn't do the slow growth. I would right. just be able to withstand the pain. Right. What I'm saying is like most people don't have the opportunity to be laying out $25,000 a month yep. in rent and insurance and other stuff. While they're still trying to grow their membership base, you know, but if I could do that, yeah, that's a lot easier, right? right? You just like, yeah, we open up this gym, 6,000 square feet. The build out costs is quarter million dollars and we're, you know, half a million dollars in the hole after first last month yep. and all that. Okay. And we're gonna try and get member one, member two, member three, and knowing it's gonna take us eighteen to twenty-four months. Right. But you've got that runway. But we've done that. We we did that runway. Yep. That's how we've opened up some of the CrossFit tilts. Right. So it's not wrong right. at all. But we had partners. We had an vet, we could like we could do that. Yep. We also had like a little bit of a, a brand built up already, and the mm-hmm. fact that it was we were opening this up as a team with CFNE as a proof of concept. Yep. It wasn't some trainer coming out of nowhere to open up this facility. What I'm saying is you can drastically lower the pain and the stress and the anxiety and the risk that's associated with taking that huge leap because it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. The way we used to do it can still be done today. Do it a little bit slower. Do a little bit more organically. Do a little bit more um, grassroots, a little more guerrilla marketing approach. But it can be done that way, and it's going to feel a lot better for each of those users along the way, yeah. because now, when they're starting, there it's it's appropriate. They're not walking. It's not three people walking into six thousand empty square feet. It's three people joining you in your garage, mm-hmm. and that feels right.
0: Right. All right. my man. Thank you so much. We will see everybody next week.
1: Thanks, Patrick.